Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hey. Hey. How are you guys doing? Are you guys like living it up? Happy. Living the dream? Day. I was literally going to say happy Thursday, but then I was like, oh my God. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. I know. So, hey. This is a whole new Tuesday. How's your week? I know. How's it going? How was your weekend? How's life? How are the kids? Oh my gosh. This weekend, I'm so excited because Sam and I have plans to finally um, get my really big plant that was part of my Christmas gift. Nice. Do you know what you're getting? Um, I have a few in mind. So it depends on what's around um, and also what looks healthy because I am kind of a snob now and I'll, I'll like look at roots and shit. Especially, oh, you're one of those now? Well, especially if it's like a big plant. I don't want to get it from like a box store that's going to have bugs all over. Right. And bring that into my house and then potentially give it to the cat, potentially get the house all gross and also give it to all of the other plants that I have. Mm-hmm. I feel like as my collection grows, I get more finicky with what I allow in. Mm-hmm. But get a big Monstera. I'm, so that's one of the ones I'm looking at. There's also these fun. Oh, my gosh. I can never pronounce them, but they. <laughs> They always look like Thera something. I don't know, but they're super cool and their leaves are funky and like have a bunch of points to them, but they're also kind of round and curvy. So I like them and they get really big and wide like Monsteras do. I like it. And then the other one I'm looking at is a cast iron plant, which isn't like its actual name. I don't remember the genus or anything, but I wasn't going to ask the genus. Pet friendly. (laughs) It's giant. It grows in any light, so low light or high light, which is awesome. And it's, like, not that expensive. So if I got that one, I might be able to get two plants. Okay. She's a bag and shop. I'd have to find one that's healthy at a good spot first. So right. we'll see. But I'll, I'll get you guys updated. I'll see if I can put it on the pod when I get one because I want you to be as invested in my plant life as I am. Oh, my God. You should. That's awesome. Yeah. I um, love that. Yes, and I actually did some plant maintenance this weekend. It was so good. I know. <sighs> um, yeah, I don't know. Just like there's something that makes my little plant mom soul happy when I see like really good root structures and things. Because I think that anybody who has a green thumb earned it. Like you don't, you're not just born with that. You don't just know what it's like. Like you just have to kill enough plants to learn oh. what it takes to not kill plants. <laughs> and so I've killed plenty. So anytime I see one that's happy, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. You're like, a serial killer. <laughs> I am. No, unfortunately. I, am. I kill a lot of plants. I have killed so many, um, sometimes not for lack of trying and sometimes for complete lack of trying and just seasonal depression. But um, it's wild. It's also weird to me that you can overwater and underwater plants and kill them both ways so needy like pick a lane so needy. do you want it or not i know and they're all different so it's like well you water this one too much and they're gonna have a fit not this one enough and oh my god yeah Yeah. the dramatics honestly i've found the best way for me to combat that is just to group a bunch with the same needs together so if i don't have to water a few i'll bunch them all together so i like don't go over there for a while because if I go over there with a the watering can, you're watering it. Everything's getting watered. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, enough about my plant life. I'm just really excited about that. I know um, you should be. Yes. I'm so pumped. Which means the only other thing that is on my to do list for this weekend is figuring out where the hell to put the rest of my vinyls now that I can't use my barren plant shelf to hold them. Just get like a little floating shelf you could put in the wall. Yeah. I probably will. Um, and maybe I'll make Sam deal with that because I don't care about having to find studs but shelves do so (laughs) correct yep that's we'll see yeah that's a thing all right well for me i'm still a little sicky sick yeah you're well you're on the up and up though i'm i'm on my way up like i have been but i think my voice is still we're still a little nasally we're still a little sultry and sexy Mm -hmm. so um i want to get into the case i'm just excited to tell you about it because i yeah, I know you, nothing about this. You, you know nothing about this, but I also know that when I tell you his name, you're going to know nothing about it mm-hmm. because I feel like so few people know anything about it. Ooh. So those of you listening know who we're talking about today, and that is John Edward Robinson. Who? I know. <laughs> so he's actually a serial killer. Oh. And I'm going to tell you all about him. And I won't say absolutely this will be two parts i think it will be mm-hmm. um I'll, I'll definitely just say it'll be more than one but i don't want to like box myself into two if okay. i end up needing more fair 
but I'm fairly certain that this will be a, a twofer. Okay. Which means you guys will have to wait a little bit for a part two, and we are going to we are going to leave on a little cliffhanger. Ugh. But I'm very just sort of eager to walk you through this guy. So this episode's going to be um, his early life, early crimes, and then we're going to get into um, the earlier murders, and then we're going to stop, and then we'll okay. pick back up with the rest of them. Okay. Okay. I can't believe I've never heard of this guy, and we have enough for a twofer. I know. Oh, I know. All right. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. All right. So we're going to talk about John Edward Robinson. I'm going to call him John. 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 But can we just say that John Edward Robinson is just the most stereotypical white guy name? Yeah. It's just, it's just so common. It's so like Americana. It's just John Robinson. That's John Doe. That's, you know. Here's the thing too. Like his initials are Jer. Which just reminds me of like a casual Jerry, which also feels so American. Like I don't know, all of these names sound like it's just white picket fence. Like yeah, it it just is. It's just like all American. The name of it. It's just and John Edward Robinson. Not for nothing, John Edward Robinson. But your names has the personality of tapioca pudding. Okay, I, there's a little something, but it's not a lot. Oh my. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't. doesn't well, you have don't want labor. him to hear you. Oh, gosh. Is he still alive? He is. Oh, my gosh. He's still alive. He is. Sorry, bro, but I'm not taking it. it back. All right. Go. All right. So this piece of shit wore many hats. Ooh. Okay. He was man. a liar, Ooh. a cheater, Oh. a con man, Yes. an embezzler, sexy, a kidnapper, Ew. a Capricorn. I could go either way. And a killer. Yuck. Okay. So he's been nicknamed the slave master. Ew. And the internet's first serial killer. Ew. And I guarantee you that most of you who have clicked on this today have just never heard of him before. But even though he may be lesser known and like not as often discussed, Mm -hmm. um, his crimes are just as gruesome as like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Dennis Rader. He's he's up there with them. It's just I don't know why his just never made that on the radar kind huh. of topic. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk about John. Okay. Tell me about him. So John was born December 27th, 1943. And and you'll have to tell me if this is right. Is it Cicero, Illinois? Yeah. Cicero? Okay. Yeah. Um he was the third of five children. Well, um I'm also just going to throw out there. First of all, third of five children, red flag. <laughs> Um, second of all, Illinois, red flag. Third of all, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can say that because I'm from there. <coughs> but I also just wanted to say, if you see it in Illinois, other than the S, we spell it like we say it. Um, we don't have any of these weird ass like pronunciation rules that change town by town. Yeah. Well, New England, we do things a little different. I know. It used to be my party trick. People would just give me a town name to read and I'd just read it. Well, this one is C-I-C-E-R-O. Yeah, Cicero. Cicero, Illinois. Easy. Okay. Anyway. So (laughs) his parents were Henry and Alberta Robinson. His dad worked a nine to five, I think nine to five plus job, Mm -hmm. uh, factory job, and struggled significantly with alcohol. He wasn't very present. I mean, when he was, he wasn't terrible but he was either working a job making not a lot of money and working a lot of hours or he was drinking so a lot of the disciplinarian role sort of went on the mom right and so his mom alberta was very strict and described as cold however she enforced the need for the kids to better themselves to be clean to dress well to try to be good people so while she's described as not super maternal and like soft and cuddly right she was like put your best foot forward you're gonna do well in school you're gonna make sure that you're well dressed like we don't have all the money in the world but but you will be presentable and you will be and i don't think that's bad at all no so growing up his family didn't have a lot of money again there were five kids his dad was probably not the most reliable worker um his Mm -hmm. mom was just trying to sort of like corral the kids together um and they lived in a neighborhood where there was a lot of crime present but John was actually involved in some very pro-social activities. Okay. 
Um, for example, he was in the Boy Scouts, and by 1957, so when he was 14, mm-hmm. he was actually an Eagle Scout that was able to travel with his troop to perform for the Queen of England. That's wild. So after the performance, and you can see this on our Instagram page, uh, he was backstage and he ran into Judy Garland. Judy Garland? You know, like Wizard of Oz, Judy Garland. Yeah. And um, there's a photo of him with her and she's given him a little kiss on the cheek and he's smiling and he's this like very handsome very cute all-american 14 year old i'll show you the picture look at his sweet little smile you don't hate the kid you hate the man but look at the kid oh he's got big old cheeks and this so this photo this one that you're looking at here and the one that we'll have on our instagram page uh was all the talk in his small chicago town of course um because they did they came from very you know a very humble background and for you to be able to not only cross the pond was a big deal and then to perform for the queen was a big deal and then to meet backstage the celebrity was a big deal so all around a big deal Mm -hmm. so the chicago tribune wrote an article about this trip at the time and that john was one of the ones that was chosen to go uh because of not only his scouting experience yeah um and his scholastic ability but also his personality he was very talkative he was very personable he was a good kid he Hmm. was handsome and knew it and charming and he wasn't going to shy away right so again as a kid described as very friendly very outgoing he was a natural born leader and he was a handsome young man as he started to grow up he began high school in 1957 so this was another year for him yeah um, because this is that was also the year that he went to perform for the queen so he gets back and he's like i'm gonna start high school um and this was at the quigley preparatory seminary which was an all-boys private school for you know boys wanting to enter priesthood but by the end of the first year he had failed several classes he had gotten in some fights with some classmates and received some discipline through the school right and he dropped out after that first year but having been sort of the talk of the town as a child again able to cross the pond and see celebrities and do things that he never thought was possible especially at 14 years old coming back to this like quiet life wasn't really what he envisioned anymore yeah um and it's just rich to think that he considered entering priesthood given what he's going to do um but he watched his dad struggle with alcohol and work an exhausting job for not a whole lot of money and john just sort of dreamt of being able to like take the shortcuts like he wanted the money he wanted the whatever but right he didn't want to have to do 10-hour days to get there. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and so in 1961, and at the age of 18, he decided that he wanted to go to school for radiology. Okay. So that's what he did. So like x-ray tech. Yeah. Um, but then after two years, he dropped out. And it's hard to say if he dropped out like he couldn't afford it or like just didn't have the grades well enough to keep going. Um, but in 1963, at the age of 20, he met a woman named Nancy Jo Lynch who he then married a year later in 1964. Okay. So they're both 20, 21 years old. So can I just put like a little asterisk in here? Mm -hmm. Are we convinced then that he did not drop out just because he didn't want to do it? Like it seems like there was some external reason. We just don't know. Okay. Um, And the other question is, I mean, did I miss something? Like was, was his childhood really traumatic? Like it sounds like he did good things, had a good loving parental unit and one that worked really hard but struggled well i mean his dad wasn't super present his dad was drinking i didn't see anything in terms of abuse okay but i think just having a parent who's choosing substances over you is not an easy thing it's not but like but at this time this wasn't rare either i mean it's still not rare so there's a lot of kids that grow up with parents who are using substances that well, I don't was, do what he did. I was just going to say, I'm not going to name names, but one of my favorite people in this world, like their mom drank themselves to death. And that person did not get angry or mad at other people. It was at their mom. And then they worked through it. And they're like, you know what? Addiction's a terrible disease. And I'm like, that's so, it's so true. But like, there are so many healthy ways to navigate really, really challenging trauma and significant issues that don't require murdering people. No, and I don't think that that's what it was. And his his mom was strict. Dis- okay, so she wasn't like 
holding your hand through everything. But she also had five other kids and his siblings didn't do this either. So I think he's got some one of the better upbringings that we talk about here. Yeah. Um, Which is why, again, what happens later just ends up being so really ridiculous. Okay. All right. Sorry. We can keep going. I just was like, hold up. Like, I I have not been knocked off my ass yet by something and I don't get it. So. No, not yet. All right. And you will be, but we're not there yet. I'm sure I will. (laughs) So he meets Nancy and they're married and they're the same age and very much in love. Okay. And they have four children together. That's a lot of kids. In 1965, they have John Jr. In 1967, they have their daughter, Kimberly. And then in 1971, she gives birth to their twins that they name Christopher and Christine. Oh. And for all intents and purposes, and by all accounts, John was a family man. He was present in his children's lives. He didn't miss events. He was friendly and outgoing, just as he had been growing up. And just kind of seems like your average guy who loved his family, went to church, and worked hard. Okay. But as I always say, because we're talking about him (laughs) on this podcast, you know that that is not the case. So I want to back up a little bit. In 1969, while his first two children were four and two years old, he faked credentials and claimed that he didn't drop out of radiology school, but instead had uh, passed with flying colors. Oh. And he began working as an x-ray technician at like a doctor's office or like a hospital. So... He had an office, and on the walls, he had framed these certificates and diplomas that he never earned. They were all faked. He made them all up. But that is how he got this job. And he had all of these, like, seemingly true stories behind them. You know, like, everything had a story with him. So it was like, oh, well, I was here, and this happened, and all of these things. And again, he's so social, and he's handsome, and he's whatever, that this impressed a lot of his coworkers and... Yes, even some of the more attractive female patients, oh. um, which I'll just say this. He was known to spend a little extra time with the female patients if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, I am. Um, and at this time and in the years to follow, John and his family were sort of back and forth between Illinois, Kansas, and Missouri. Okay. Mostly Kansas and Missouri, but okay. Illinois is still in there. So just so you know, so right off the bat, he's got two kids. And there's going to be two more coming, and he's working this job that he is in no way qualified for. Oh, gosh. But he literally faked it till you make it. So I want to move into his earlier petty crimes. And I say petty with sort of an asterisk here because they all end up sort of like snowballing into worse things. Okay. So the family... Somehow I'm not surprised about that. Yes. But okay. So... The family moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and John began coaching his children's sports. He worked as a Sunday school teacher. He volunteered with the local Boy Scouts. And it's also at this time that he was caught embezzling $33,000 from his employer. No. Which is equivalent to more than $240,000 today. Oh. And the employer was Dr. Wallace Graham, and he had not only embezzled the money, obviously, but he was never certified to do the job anyway, right? So right. he was stealing from a workplace that he shouldn't have had the job at to start with. Yeah. So he's doing great. So the next year, he was arrested again for embezzlement, but this time from a different employer back in Illinois, even though he shouldn't have even been working in Illinois because he was on probation and had to get like address change and workplaces approved by his probation officer that he didn't tell them about. So he had this job in Illinois that he was embezzling from that he shouldn't have legally had anyway. So wait, where was he on probation from? Kansas City. And that's where the radiology Mm -hmm. embezzling happened. Okay. All right. So it's just sort of like, and everything's sort of all over the place Mm -hmm. because he's got parts working in each state. So it's, it's very interesting and you'll see how all of that comes together, but in 1975, he was arrested again, this time for mail fraud. And I want to note here that it isn't like it is today. Our generation, and I say our generation, like those of us in our mid-20s, mm-hmm. um, can recall a time without computers and social media and impulsivity and instant access. But even our version of off the grid has never been off the grid. Right. So in the cases we cover before i would say even like the 2000s i just think it's important to like 
take a pause and check that right. box on our minds because it's not something that we're accustomed to. So his arrest wasn't clickbait on Facebook. It wasn't talked about in group chats. His mugshot wasn't on Google. Right. He had these arrests and it wasn't exactly everyone's talk of the day. Yeah. His neighbors might not have known. They might have known. Even if they knew of it, they might not have known the details. I'm sure he had a very witty way of combating it. And, oh, well, it wasn't me. And it was this, that, and that, and whatever. Isn't it wild? This guy has the same name as me over in Kansas City. Well, and let's be real. John Robinson is kind of like, okay, and the other hundred of John Robinsons that might live in your town. Yes, literally. So all things to just, I like to, like, remind Mm -hmm. us to think about. Well, and it's important, too, because... I know when I hear stuff like this, I always get irritated because, no, you should not be lying to get into a job, nor should you be embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from employers. But I always say there's some liability to check that what someone is saying is true. But I also understand it was a lot harder at this time. Yeah. So, and, you know, if he has a reason for everything and he is charming and good looking, we know that that is a cocktail for people just taking what you say at face value yeah but he doctored like these excellent yeah documents it's just it it was pretty amazing what he was able to get away with that's wild in the time that allowed him to do that yeah so in 1977 he manipulated people into allowing him to join this board of directors of a local charity for people with disabilities a position for which he was not qualified for and then this man wins an award what the award was Man of the Year. What? Oh, okay. Now, it was an award in the community. Um, it's not like the entire U.S. gave him this title, but those around him found it fitting, even though he literally made the award up himself. What? And then gave it to himself. What? Citing endorsements from local figureheads. However, the endorsements and these letters that were written in his favor were fucking forged. What? So he's claiming to have one like from the mayor's office and from like this, the head of this board and that one and this charitable organization thinks I'm the bee's knees and he had all of these things and he's like, we should have a man of the year. And they're like, well, yeah. And he's like, and I think I'd be a great man of the year. And they're like, you are. Wow. You know what? Honestly, that reminds me of, and maybe it's just because you said Judy Garland, but literally the wizard of oz and like specifically wicked where he was like well they thought i was great and i said okay it's like like, (laughs) it's ridiculous it's like did your mom never put your little coloring on the fridge yeah do you really need this much validation this is what it did so anyway so again funny that he was able to and it was believed that all of these documents these letters these endorsements for him like seemed to flood in at the time that he needed from prominent people but he got all the names right he he could figure out who the secretary was who would have sent it so it would be from her name and it would be from you know you know what i'm saying like yeah it wasn't just like well the mayor himself sure he signed it but it didn't come in the mail from him it came from you know what i mean like he could do it just so yeah he really got the specifics of that and Soon, the local news outlets caught on and aired that dirty laundry because um, they, some of the okay. people that were like, hey, I didn't write that letter. And I, it says that I did, and I know I didn't do that. I don't know this guy. So that kind of got caught. But um, again, I'm sure he had something to say for everything. Right. And he continued to have an income, though, uh, sometimes by using management positions at a workplace to make, quote, fake employees whose paychecks just happened to be deposited into his account. So he would be employing maybe like three other people, and those three other people's checks might have just gone to him. And but they weren't real employees. No, he they're just not made real people. No, they're not people that are working okay. there. But somehow he was able to do that. Okay. And these, uh, the money that was went to this account uh, didn't put food on the table for his kids or pay. No, uh, these were for his uh, girlfriends. Um, and these were for apartments for what? them. Yep. So he was putting up lady friends, you know, and in different is, areas. So now for real, real cheating on his wife. Oh, no, for real, real. And he was cheating on her back before then, okay. too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. But damn, he's providing for... Damn. Oh, yeah. 
to be a side piece at this time. Oh, yeah. He had a whole apartment. And the reason I'm going into such a detail about his er earlier crimes is because I want to drive it home. John Edward Robinson is a con man. Yes. That's it. He would keep people pacified with this facade of his involvement in his family and his hard work and his big personality and his service to the community through right. his church and as scoutmaster. And yet it's all fake. I mean, right. some of it's true, but really the root of it is it's all fake. And it all came so easy to him and unfortunately just snowballs into something more sinister. Right. So... In 1980, mm -hmm. he's arrested again for embezzlement and forgery because why wasn't he? Right. Um, and finally received some kind of punishment, though not a whole lot. Okay. He served 60 days in jail. What? But during this time, he would be in and out of incarceration pretty regularly and his family would visit him. He maintained sort of his presence in his children's life, even though obviously not there physically while he's incarcerated, but... He still had his wife and children's respect. And to me, that just speaks volumes that he yeah. still had that over all of this. So as he's in and out of incarceration, he's also learning. Of course. He is social, as I've said it's probably 10 times butterfly. now. He's got to know what's up, what's correct. happening. Correct. And you know what happens when people are social in jail? Yeah, you uh, learn cool new things to try. Correct. And you yeah. learn like how to be a better criminal yeah. and you know different things and so he's talking to other inmates and i've never thought about covering it up that way correct <laughs> and by doing this he's becoming more part of the system right than he would have been right? it's so he's frustrating to see someone who is incarcerated as a means of deterrence and punishment and it actually just ends up institutionalizing them more. Yeah, I think he just came out a little bit more like revitalized and like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to make the same mistakes a I did last time. Passion, <laughs> right? So, this part is kind of sad. So he's back out again. He asked a friend for twenty five thousand dollars and had this huge pitch on uh, not only how he would get the money back to the friend, but how it, he would you know give him more. Mm -hmm. um, he had this investment idea thing that he was going to do and uh the friend all you got to do is give me the 25 don't worry about it you get it back plus some i just need it a little bit right now well of course the friend never saw a red cent of that twenty five thousand dollars again which was troubling for him because he had hoped to use the earnings on that investment to pay for his wife's hospital bills no so that friend never saw any of that again not like not even a net zero. Uh -uh. Nope. Fuck Just that. took the 25 grand and ran with it. So after conning his friend out of quite literally thousands of dollars, he changed hats and became more outwardly creepy. I oh. would say. So that's not better. No. So he turned his attention to the wives of his friends in the neighborhood. Why? And started sort of like sexually harassing them. Oh, cute. Um, he tried to persuade them into partaking into some pretty intense sadistic bondage sex. Ew. Um, and when they said no, he just like would pester them. Sorry. And my ew is not to yuck anybody's yum. My ew is because ew, you're creepy and you're doing that to your friend's wives. Yeah. The neighborhood wives, you know, like the women that your, yeah. you know, wife's probably like having tea with. Or, you know, doing their little walks in the morning. Like who watch your kids mm -hmm. and, you know, probably like give your kid a dinner every once in a while. And ew. Yep. Have a little more. Uh, it, I'm not normally one to be like, have a little more class than that. But like literally have a little more class than that. Set oh. a higher standard for yourself. No, seriously. My God. Ew. Seriously. Okay. So these women sort of began comparing notes on yep. their interactions with the seemingly really nice family man neighbor John next door. Who suddenly turned really creepy and... Correct. And now they're kind of like, he's creepy with you too? Yeah, this is what he said to me. Yeah, this is what he said to me. Got Again, it. these married women all around... And they all agreed that they were uncomfortable and creeped out, which, again, just, like, further harmed his already faltering reputation in town because he's really right. not doing too hot. Um, so I said that we'd grow a little more sinister. Yeah. So buckle up. 
All right. Um, he's cheating on his wife. That's a no-brainer. We talked about that. Yeah. But in oh. the mid-80s, by my calculation, he stepped it up a notch. So according to both the serial killer calendar, which is really good, mm-hmm. um, and the Inquisitor and Grunge and every other source that has written anything on this piece of wet shit, um, he joined a secret sadomasochistic group that called themselves the International Council of Masters. Uh. or ICM for short. Uh-huh. But I just want to make sure that you know that this is not to be confused with the International Council on Mining and Metals <laughs> or the <laughs> Institute of Commercial Management or the International Council of Museums. No, we're talking about men engaging in the degradation and sexual abuse of women. Um, and let's be honest, typically not consensual. So this uh. took BDSM to a new level yeah and again consensuality was not the concern here which is absolutely the concern you know what i mean like no, oh yes for you and i and everyone else it is a concern correct and so i'm going to talk about bdsm i know we all sort of know what it is but just so we're all on the same page bondage discipline sadism masochism okay okay i've also heard and now i don't know if this is right or not people can correct me but i think all of those things split into pairs can be other Mm -hmm. like uh, parts of the relationships in that i'm not entirely i'm clearly not well versed in it so i don't know what the bd is i don't remember but i think the ds is supposed to be like dominant versus submissive and then isn't like s and m sadism and masochism yeah so some of it yeah i think it can get like cut down too but yeah it's all that stuff and it's uh it that is not something you should be fucking around with not having consent with that's not okay. So I won't say for a fact that there weren't women involved in this, I'll say circle yeah. with him that weren't it's in it for wanting to be. Certainly a known kink. Yeah. Um, And I'm not here to shame you on what you're into. If it's right. consensual, by all means, have at it. You're, I don't care. Um, to yucky yum. Just to yuck this piece of shit. However, my issue with this is not what people choose to do in their free time. It's the people that are not letting people choose that they're taking a part in this. Precisely. Um, and so, again, I won't say that there weren't women that were, like, game. Yeah. But I think that that, for this guy, took away from it. Because and how can I truly, how can you truly be the submissive? How can I truly be the, the dominant if... If it's consensual. If you're allowing me to Ew. do that. Because I should be allowing you to do things. You're not allowing me to do things. Ew. Does that make sense? So ew, ew, that's ew. where my mind goes with it. I That's not like the way I saw it broken down right. and talking about him. But I don't think that he's in it because he like wants people to have a say. And it's like a it's like a. Well, and that's like group sex thing. So concerning because I think this is something especially in like. I don't know, maybe I just watch weird TV, but I feel like I've heard stuff about it and kind of surface level, it never goes really in depth. But like, it's a known kink that people are into. And it's concerning solely for the people that take it too far like this. You know, Mm -hmm. like, again. Like, I'm not thinking there's safe words here. Right. Like, again, not to yuck any yums. Have fun, have at it, whatever. Wear a collar, whatever you want to do. But allow it. You should be the one saying, yes, I'm okay with that, or no, I'm not. And it's not, I can assume it's not fun when you are not the one saying, I'm good with this. Yep. And so, oh, that makes me feel so bad for them. Now, remember, this is the 80s. So these are like, this. these groups are like, like real people, like he's yeah. met and things like that. And so. that um, That's also really weird to me. I don't know why. Just, it disgusts me that they're glorifying yes the emotional and physical degradation of another person and with this international council of masters again they're the masters and you'll hear him called again the slave master um they had him take on this new role as the recruiter (sighs) now this role was to practice recruiting women and what i can't tell throughout reading about all of this is i'm not sure i think this is where it ends with his like group piece of this what he goes on to do he goes on to do himself okay it doesn't it's not representative of that group however i think it just opened his mind to being able to actually practice it 
um and then he takes things his own way so i'm not gonna like say that these people were doing that right i'm sure there were bad people in there too um especially if consent was like an optional thing which it should never be so that piece of it um is sort of like a gray area because the sources really don't focus on this part of his life yeah and let's be all let's be completely honest those people weren't coming forward and be like yeah i saw him at that group meetup at the like they're not sharing that piece about their lives no one was coming forward about that but we'll move on from that just so you know that he's actively taking a role in this yes he's cheating on his wife like there's absolutely no doubt about this they've been married wife a cup of tea and a hug oh yeah at this point they've been married over 20 years oh god so there's that um so i want to get into victim number one okay in 1984 john met 19 year old paula godfrey paula was under the impression that she was um taking a sales representative position for two companies um because she saw an ad like a want ad um, yeah. for you know sales rep position and she answered it and met john and john told her that he had these two companies that he would really need somebody who's like young and ready to work you know it's going to be busy it's going to be yeah hype it's going to be fast paced it's going to be fun though it's going to be rewarding can you handle that and she's game She's 19 years old. She's very excited. Unfortunately for Paula and what she didn't know was that these companies don't exist. And on September 1st, 1984, John had arranged to pick Paula up at her parents' home. Mm -hmm. He had told her that he would be sending her to Texas uh, because he found it very important for her to attend this all-expense-paid training um, before she can really jump into her new job. Okay. So all she had to do beforehand was sign a stack of blank white pieces of paper and nope. pr- and provide him a list of her closest friends and family. He told her that he she would just be so busy with her training that she wouldn't have time to write them. And nope. she he knew how important it would be that they knew that she was okay and she shouldn't worry he'll take care of it. So she did. And she signed the stacks mm-hmm. of paper. And uh, when he picked her up that September 1st, she was told it was to be brought to the airport because she was going to go catch her flight. And after a couple of days, her parents didn't hear from her. They tried to reach her in Texas at the hotel that she was going to be at and they couldn't. And they actually flew to Texas themselves and went to the airport, uh, excuse me, the hotel only to find out that she had never checked in. And... Uh, a f- few days later, they received a letter that was signed by Paula. Oh, God. Uh, that was, you know, had been typed up and then signed by her, stating that she was safe um, and happy, but she didn't want to see her family anymore. And so she was just <gasps> asking to sort of be left alone. So, of course, her family are like, she would never say that. They go to the police. Good. And the police don't have any formal charges they can bring against John. What do they have? Yeah. They don't have anything. And her family was told that, is there truth in it? Is that her signature? And Uh. they said, yeah, it is. And, okay, she's of legal age to have chosen to want to part ways. She's 19. I know. But the laws, you know. And she's got rights. If she wants to do that, she can. And her parents maintained that she would never do that. And kept, you know, her report as missing. Um, And so I found an entry on Paula in the National Missing and Unidentified Person System. Okay. Which I'm not going to say again, but it's NAMUS, N-A-M-U-S dot gov. Um, So I ran her name through it and there's very little information available on her. I don't know how often it's even updated, but I will add what it does say. Because today Paula is still missing. Oh, God. Um, Paula Godfrey, last contact, September 1st, 1984. Age missing, 19 current age would be 57 right missing from overland park kansas she's five foot eight weighing approximately 115 pounds brown hair blue eyes with any information about paula please contact overland park police department 913-895-6000 so again paula is still Mm -hmm. missing today though is presumed murdered by john robinson fuck we're going to move on to victim two. Okay. 
Um, this is Lisa Stacy. Okay. So, according to ABC News, just three months later, in December of 1984, so again, Paula goes missing in September of 84, we're in December now, uh, John claimed to have started the Kansas City Outreach Program, which uh, was to, quote, help downtrodden women. And uh, he called and visited hospitals and shelters and connected with social workers and those in advocacy-like roles to encourage them to refer women to his new program. He oh, was that pisses me off. He was really working on getting his name out there. And he was a businessman and really sold it. And um, they were told that the program worked to help young pregnant women or women who had just given birth. So either pregnant or uh, mothers with newborns um, to, quote, help them get back on their feet and find a place to live. Okay. And this is how he met another 19-year-old, Lisa Stacy. Um, Lisa had a four-month-old daughter named Tiffany. Aww. And he met her late 84, early 85. So um, according to the Cinemaholic, which I always like reading articles mm-hmm. there, uh, Lisa was born Lisa Elledge. And she was born in Huntsville, Alabama, on April 11th, 1965. Okay. She married a man named Carl in 1984 and gave birth to their daughter, Tiffany, uh, shortly after. Mm-hmm. Later that year, though, their marriage was sort of on the outs and uh, Carl re-enlisted in the military, mm-hmm. which made him need to relocate. So he left Lisa and infant Tiffany alone. <whistles> and Lisa ended up moving into a residential shelter and with the help of a local hospital, was introduced to a man named John Osborne, okay. who, again, was just running a new outreach program to help new mothers. So they got her connected <laughs> with this guy who was really going to help her out. So John put her and, of course, the infant up in the Roadway Inn Hotel, which mm-hmm. was in or around Kansas City. Um. Shortly after that, Lisa called her mother-in-law, so Carl's mom, frantic and crying about just having had to sign four blank pieces of paper. And she thought it was strange, and she was kind of freaking out. And before anyone could say much, Lisa hung up the phone. And that was the last time that anyone heard her voice. Fuck. So Lisa had been instructed, as Paula was, to provide the names and information for the people closest to her. Okay. So, parents' address, friends' address, things like that. Uh, days later, after this, the director of the women's shelter that Lisa had been staying at received a letter from Lisa thanking her for her help, but said that she's decided to get away and make a good life for her and her daughter. So, she wouldn't be seeing her again. Mm-hmm. And it was signed with Lisa's name. Lisa's mother, Pat, said that Lisa couldn't possibly have typed that whole letter because her daughter hadn't really ever typed before. She was not that good a typist. Yeah. And it wouldn't have been how she'd write a letter given the choice. She would have just handwritten it. Right. So it was very odd. And then to just sign it. Especially to have, yeah, to have it typed and then signed. Mm -hmm. So as time passed and they weren't able to speak with Lisa, uh, the family went to law enforcement to try to figure out what happened to her. Um, because, again, it's, this is their daughter and their infant grandbaby, yeah. their newborn granddaughter. And law enforcement had already looked into John regarding Paula Godfrey's disappearance. Right. Um, because, again, his her family knew that she was had this job opportunity with this man. Right. And it's unknown if he was going by John Osborne at the time with all the women. Mm-hmm. But the police had him in their sights. Right. Well, and you hear John in something similar like that. Mm-hmm. Typed letter, signed name. But John Osborne, John right. Robinson, how many handfuls of people just with that name alone were walking around in that area? Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, uh, again, they already knew who he was, but when questioned, John was upbeat, he was calm, and he said uh, pretty much that he just helps them get started, so he helps mm-hmm. them kind of get on their feet, but... Um, you know, once they start a new life, that's where he cut ties. He just, he focuses on the next. So he's not really keeping in touch with them after they've kind of gotten things together. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's like, my work is done and I'm on to helping the next one. So I'm really not sure where she ended up. How nice. 
And with that, they really couldn't do much with it because, again, they're getting letters saying that she has decided to take her newborn daughter and start a life and get away. Oh, my gosh. And these letters are signed by her. So why wouldn't they think that they're true? Now, this part gets rough. Okay. Simultaneously, at this very same time, John goes to his brother, Donald. Now, Donald and his wife had been trying to conceive for years. They had wanted kids, and it it just wasn't in the cards for them biologically, and had recently Mm -hmm. shared with the family that they were considering adoption. And in January of 1985, um, John came to them saying that there was this four-month-old baby girl available for adoption. Shut the fuck up. Because her mother had taken her own life in a hotel room, and it was dire, and someone needed to step up and take this baby. And he said that when he heard of it, he knew that this baby was the one for them. And he came ready with all of the legitimate documentation. Uh, Donald had paid him the um, attorney fees. John was sort of acting as the middleman um, to, you know, the the go-between between the adoption yeah. lawyers and everything. And this paperwork looked very legitimate. I mean... It had the correct names and information of the family attorneys and, like, adoption attorneys in the area. Their, like, notary inf- was all correct. Ev- all of the T's were crossed. All of the I's were dotted. And Don and his wife were just elated. Can I just throw one thing out there? Can you imagine how much good he would have done if he had put all of those skills to something actually helpful? I know. Imagine like- if he actually did try to help them. Because he probably could have. I know. I mean, he might have conned his way into helping them, but he could fake employment papers and at least get him a job or some shit, you know? Yep. Oh, that's so fucking frustrating. Okay, sorry. No. going. And they just, Don and his wife felt so awful that this child had been left alone in a hotel room where her mother had just taken her own life. And it was like, you know, maybe a message from God that this baby needs a home. Right, and, and so love and all of, all of the good things under the sun that was just taken from and the, the baby. You know, it, adopting a child is not inexpensive. No, and they wrote checks for thousands of thousands of dollars for all of the the court fees and the adoption mm-hmm. stuff, all of that, um, that they gave to John and had assumed that it had gotten into the right hands because they had a cert like a letter of, you know, right. adoption certificate essentially. Yeah. Um. And all was well. So they Mm -hmm. initialed and signed and went through all the steps. And he was, again, just over the moon, elated to adopt a beautiful baby girl. And they named their new baby Heather Tiffany Robinson. So they kept her original first name, Tiffany, made it her middle name to honor where she had come from and named her Heather Robinson. They sound like good people. So I hate that he is a piece of shit. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so law enforcement found it incredibly difficult to find any evidence on John Robinson. Mm-hmm. However, they were pretty positive he was up to a lot of shady shit. They kept a close eye on him. They were waiting for him to commit any kind of arrestable offense. And he did. And in the mid-1980s, he was arrested for running a suspected prostitution ring out of a rental apartment, which, again, remember those apartments I said he had set up? Yeah. Um, he posted bond, though, and was on his way. I'm sure. Uh, still keeping tabs on him, though, because they felt he was growing both more confident and more dangerous. They arrested him again for fraud, this time involving the sale of a condo. He okay. profited from something he shouldn't have. What else is new with this guy? Yes, and he was sentenced between 6 and 16 years in prison. Okay. Now, just before this, though, and from my understanding of this, he's out on bond and just hasn't turned himself in yet for the date that he's going to, like, his date to start uh, doing his time. Right. So he knew he was going to be doing whatever the amount of years was going to be. Yeah. But that... Had not yet been, he, yeah, he had quote, unquote, checked in. He had a little bit of time to get his affairs in order before yeah. he went away. Okay. So, this is where he met Catherine Clampett. 
Okay. Catherine was born in 1960 in Korea, but was adopted by a family in Texas. And according to some reports I found, um, it said that she had struggled with substance use. Others didn't say either way. I found it difficult to find a definitive answer either way. Um, But regardless, she was a young mother living in Wichita Falls, Texas. And she saw an ad in the paper for a job at a consulting firm in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. So she left her child with her parents in Texas, moved out to Kansas City to try to get on her feet. I'm not sure if her plan was for once she kind of got settled to go and get the baby and bring Mm -hmm. her back. Or I say her, I'm not sure if she had a daughter or son, but bring her child back with her or what it was. But um, she moved out to go work for a man named John Osborne because he promised her employment and lots of travel and a new wardrobe. She was going to be able to start over again. And her family didn't hear from her. They reported her missing, describing her as a 27-year-old Asian female with black hair, brown eyes, weighing 95 pounds, and about 5 feet tall. This woman was tiny. Hmm. She has never been found. Oh, my God. She is presumed murdered by... John Robinson. Holy shit. Yep. And this was just before he went away to serve time for a stupid fucking condo sale. Right. Fraud shit. I mean, hell, they got Al Capone on tax fraud. Sometimes it's just whatever you can throw to the wall that sticks. But Jesus. Correct. But he still killed a woman before he. (sighs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that could have been really avoided if you just went straight from sentencing trial to your sentence. Mm hmm. But what do I know? What do you know? What do I know? What What does anybody know? So in 1987, John was sentenced on more fraud charges like we talked about and served from 1987 to 1991 in a Kansas prison and then from 1991 to 1993 in a Missouri prison. Okay. So while in the Missouri prison, the second one, uh, he had stayed in touch this whole time with his loving and loyal wife and his children. Um... And was literally still leading a double life, Mm -hmm. even though he's in fucking prison. That's fucking bananas. So he was only in prison for nonviolent charges. Now we know what he's capable of, right? But we do not know. Well, they didn't know at the time just how dangerous he really was. They just thought it was all fraud, nonviolent stuff. So he was considered pretty low risk. None of his murders had been discovered. He hadn't laid a hand on anybody that anybody could tell. Um, And besides people just disappearing after being seen with him. Yeah. The sort of jobs and things that he said would sort Uh. of line themselves up to make sense that the women wouldn't be there for long. If it was to get them on their feet, it was like an interim thing. So he wouldn't be responsible for them for decades or anything like that. So Uh. that's all they had. And, you know, he's there and nonviolent charges and he's just a nice guy and yeah sure he's made some mistakes but you know it's really looking up and he's just trying to do his time and see his kids and doesn't that all just sound great it sounds great so it was what it sounded like (laughs) he begins work in the prison of course and he opted to work in the prison library ah and this is the, you know, early 90s and there's computers and he had never had access to computers before. So he's learning software and he's learning how to fuck <laughs> really just become proficient right. in these Technology. things. And he likes the library because it's quiet and he actually befriends the librarian. Okay. Her name is Beverly Bonner and... He was sort of working alongside her because, you know, she's kind of running the the shindig in there. And Beverly's husband, Dr. Bonner, was a prison physician and had even treated John while he was there. Oh. And uh, again, while working there, he's chatting her up and he's just so charismatic and kind and funny and harmless. And charming and smart and all of those things. Family man and ew. Really taking advantage of the time he's got to the computers because he's Mm -hmm. just becoming well versed in all that shit. 
And he starts chatting Beverly up. They are hitting it off like you wouldn't believe. Of course they are. So much so, to the point where they're starting to have a little relationship. Mm. So much so that by November 1993, when John is released from prison, she puts in her notice with the prison, uh, files for divorce from her physician husband, and says that she is going to go work with John because... He is just so intelligent. He's got all these great ideas. And they're going to go riding into the sunset. Yowza. And that's where we're going to leave it. What the fuck? For part one. So okay. John is out of prison again. He has got <sighs> a new woman with him. And we will pick that up next time. I hate this. And I love this. And I hate this. Can you believe you never heard of him? Honestly, some of it sounds a little familiar. I wonder if I heard something like a long time ago. I think when we get to the end, I think that might sound familiar. Okay, because I remember listening to something and the blank pieces of paper with signatures stand out. That is like that is a red flag that sends chills up my back. Like Mm -hmm. I can't. Hell no. I'm not signing anything unless I know what's on that paper permanently. Fuck that. No. Yeah. Nope. But it, um, but he just had this charismatic yeah. way of saying, you're not going to be able to write to them. You might not even be able to send a mail out from where you're from. So I'll take care right. of it. You let me know what you want to say. And, you know, I'll I'll make sure your family I'll knows you're okay. Don't worry about you. it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe I have too many trust issues, but I'd be like, mm, that's OK. No, I wouldn't I do it. any of that. But yeah, if you were 19 with this older i mean hell he's married with four kids like what? yeah what, what's he gonna he's do a, yeah he's a like church uh pastor volunteer and yeah. he coaches his kids little league and he does i mean really how bad can he be right right and i think that's the scary part with this one is like i know and i guess so does ann rule like the stranger beside me you wouldn't have guessed ted bundy mm-hmm. I know you wouldn't have guessed this guy, but also I know the you know, bird's eye view in 2020, you see a lot of things clear in hindsight and all of those cliches because they're true. Well, and so what I think is interesting to look at here, yeah. so, and we'll have this on our Instagram page, but John, as a child, like growing up, like in his teen years and everything, I think he was a handsome kid. He, he looked mm-hmm. average. There is a point in his adulthood, and I don't know if it's just me because I'm looking for something. Yeah. And I always say that killers will have, like, shark eyes. Yeah. Like, they're dead behind the eyes. Yeah. There's nothing really back there. <laughs> there's, you know, the, they just as easily look at you as kill you. Yeah. And there's a point where his eyes change in that way to me. Interesting. And I just want to show you a photo and I'll make sure that this is the one that gets posted. Okay. But he's probably about this age here. There is something eee! lacking in those eyes. And. Yeah, they're like two dimensional somehow. It's it's just haunting. It's like ghostly. And that's a man who's seen some shit, done some shit. Also, damn, he was like a little cutie as a kid. But nope, no, that did not stick around. No. And we will have photos of the um, of the women that he killed as well. And they're beautiful and they're young and they're, they're, I mean, no one was over 30 so far, you know, they're all, there was two 19 year olds, an infant who got moved, like illegally adopted. Became his freaking niece. Yep. And, um... The most recent victim, Catherine, was 27. She was the oldest by far. Yeah. And she was young. He was a real Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. Sorry. (laughs) I just... I hate him. Wow. I hate him. Yeah, it's awful. So we will be getting into more of that in the next episode. Okay. But I'm very excited for you to hear the end of it. So if you guys want to hear that, you'll have to stick around and listen to part two. Uh, Okay, you guys, we will definitely be around next week. And I'm so pissed I have to wait. (laughs) Um, But here we are, I guess. So if you want to see his face, if you want to see any of the places, people, things we're talking about, you can definitely check that out on our Instagram. Of course. 
they would be able to find all of those fun things mm-hmm. if they wanted to like go to their little search bar and look up about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A B O U T period T I M E period F O R period T R U E period C R I M E period P O D because podcast was too long, guys. And also, while you're there, don't forget to like some stuff, share some stuff, follow us. You guys know we've done giveaways before. We're thinking about other fun ways we can give back in the upcoming year. So definitely stick around. And if you wanted to send in like a case request, your thoughts on the case, something a little bit longer, you could definitely email us. But Allie, where would they do that? If you wanted to email us, you would go on your little email mm-hmm. and hit compose mm-hmm. or new or start or whatever the hell it says now. I'm Ooh. forgetting. Control N. And you would type in about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We love to interact with you guys. Um Again, if you want to check out our red bubble stuff, you can always check that out Hell on our yeah. Instagram and on our cute little link tree uh, that you can see there. And we're really excited to finish up this case. I'm thinking this is going to be a two-parter now that we're done yeah. part one. I think okay. that's where, we'll, that's where we'll, um, we'll wrap it up. But I'm very excited to get to tell you guys all about it. And Ugh. if I check my watch, that was About, about time, time for True Crime. crime. Bye. Bye. Stay safe out there.